Euro 2016 will mark the first time in history where both teams on this island will compete at a major tournament. While both Ireland and Northern Ireland donned the green jersey in France this summer, questions will arise as to why football is the only major sport here where two teams compete internationally. You're listening to the Why Big Football Show on Benchwarmers. I'm Dave O'Grady and here to answer that question is Cormac Moore, author of a new book called The Irish Soccer Split, which offers a first comprehensive analysis on why we do have two soccer teams in Ireland. Cormac, thanks for joining us on the show. No problem at all, Dave. Cormac, the book contains uh, uh, goes into depth as to why the split occurred, but it goes all the way back to the 1920s. You know, the I guess really the formation of of soccer in in on in Ireland, and particularly the power struggle between Belfast and Dublin. Of course, Belfast back then was a thriving uh, industrial city. Yeah, so so if we look back to the foundations of soccer on the island, it pretty much began in Belfast and. Uh, the surrounding areas and that's why the Irish Football Association was headquartered in Belfast and the Irish Football Association was, was the governing body for soccer for the whole island of Ireland up until 1921. Because Ireland used to play at Windsor Park under a Union Jack flag and Belfast was the home of Irish soccer. Absolutely, yeah. If you look at the, um, the amount of internationals that were played up until 1921, only six um, Ireland internationals were played in Dublin. The rest were in Belfast, which I think was about 48. Um, you know, so it was definitely the home of Irish soccer was considered uh, to be Belfast. And I suppose, you know, there was other sports in, in amongst that time. And, you know, the GAA was considered a rebellion sport against the, the British monarchy. And, you know, across Ireland, soccer wouldn't have been played by too many Irish Catholics, to say. But uh, it did start to... Um, the, uh, an organisation began in Leinster, as far as I'm aware. And that was the beginning of what now is the FAI. Yeah, yeah, no, I wouldn't necessarily agree that there weren't many Catholics who played soccer. Um, but there was, there always was. You know, the soccer has always been a popular sport among you know both Protestants and Catholics. Um, and it, it took off in Dublin pretty soon after it started in Belfast. But there always was a, a very big base of soccer in Dublin. Um, what happened was that, however, was that the the administration of soccer was was uh, was from Belfast. And the people in the south, from Dublin and Leinster, weren't happy with that. They felt there was a bias towards Dublin. And after the Leinster Football Association was formed in 1892, Leinster became very competitive. And the you know the Blue Ribbon Trophy was the Irish Cup competition. And like teams like Bohemians and Shelburne started to win that. And they felt they should have had more um, players on the international team. They felt there should be more more matches in Dublin. They felt there should be more seats on the IFA Council. Uh, but they didn't get many of those wishes, and that's why the the antagonism rose, and and they ultimately decided to leave in 1921. Because a lot of people would ask the question, Cormac, you know, why was there? Why didn't they come together? Why didn't the associations unite and just have one sporting body? But. It, they actually did. There was many attempts made, which you explore in the book, uh, to unify both associations, uh, particularly from 1923 to 1932. Yeah, so once um, Leinster split from the um, IFA, um, the FAI was formed. It, it did extremely well. You know, it, it uh, grew football to places that had never experienced it before. Um, it, it took um, care of, of places that were ignored by the IFA, like Munster, like Connacht. 
and the game did thrive in the 1920s. Um, it did, it did, however, have a big issue that it didn't get international recognition immediately. And it actually took a long time before it got international recognition from the British associations. The first uh, team from England, Scotland and Wales to play an FAI team was, was England in 1946. Um, it did, however, get uh, FIFA recognition in 1923. Um, but it, it was felt that... You know, it wanted the FBI wanted those marquee fixtures of England, Scotland, Wales, particularly England. That was where most of the coffers could be filled, um, and that's why it was felt that there should be talks with the IFA, see if there could be an agreement. Now the IFA felt you know that a big injustice had been done. They wanted everyone back in, onto the same fold, and that was the background to the talks that began in 1923 and continued on until 1932, um, and there was genuine attempts made to you know to reunify soccer in Ireland. I remember reading before Cormac that the, it, as you talk about the I the trying to get the recognition from the English FA uh, for this FAI team and I remember reading before that it was I might be wrong in this but England's first defeat on home soil was I think at Goodison Park against an Irish team but it didn't go down in history their defeat to Hungary I think it was was their first defeat on home soil but a lot of people say that they actually lost to an Ireland team which didn't actually go into the record books yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think they said they lost to Hungary in 1953 when they, it was actually 49 when they lost to uh, Ireland in Goodson Park 4-2 now. Um, but yeah, look, it was a full international. You know, they, the 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 English FA, once the, the kind of the British associations decided to end their um, scuffle with FIFA and they, they went back into the fold in FIFA in the late 40s, um, they, they, um, they did recognise, um, you know, the, the FAI and they actually allowed games to be played. Um, but yeah, it, it, it took decades so for, for any kind of recognition to be uh, received from the, the English FA. There was more efforts, I believe, made, Cormac, between 1973 and 1980 during the height of the Troubles to actually re- reunite these teams as well. Yeah, it was, it was probably the, the most standout moment of the research in terms of uh, new evidence I, I came across. Um, I was up in Belfast in the IFA records and I just noticed that there was actually meetings taking place between the FBI and IFA um, to see could there be one international team. I, I saw no evidence of that beforehand, so I explored further and there was actually about you know nine or ten meetings between uh, both bodies in the 70s and, and early 80s. Um, and there was a genuine you know uh, attempt to have maybe not two, let's say one association in on the island, but two teams, as I said, one international team being governed by the two associations. Why do you think, Cormac, it didn't happen? Uh, with all those attempts, you know, the the early, the 20s, to the, from the early 20s to the early 30s, and then again from 73 to 80, what was it that held them back, do you think? Well, I think from, it, they're very different uh, cases, you know, in terms of the 20s, 30s, and in the 70s and early 80s. I would think the reason why they didn't uh, um, come to fruition in the you know the 20s and 30s was due to the IFA not willing to relinquish too much power and the FAI not willing to accept anything other than total equality. And it was just it was too much of a gap. And there was actually incidents in 1924 and 1932 when it seemed like there was an agreement going to be signed. However, the FAI introduced um, demands on both occasions very late into the, into the, the negotiations and that, that meant that the, the IFA walked away. 
in the 70s and 80s, I do think there definitely could have been one international team if it was not for the Troubles. The Troubles definitely got in the way. Um, there was a match between Dundalk and Linfield in the European Cup tie in 1979 and there was a huge riot that took place. And it was soon after that that the, the talks actually broke down for, for the last time. Um, so I do, I do believe that Troubles definitely um, you know, did allow it for this, this stuff to happen. And then the success of the teams in the 80s. That's you know, exactly, yeah, I was going to say that uh, the success of Northern Ireland, they probably thought that, well, why would they want to, you know, unite with the whole of Ireland considering they were so successful in the 80s? Yeah, well, Harry Cavan actually said that, um, you know, who needs a United Ireland team when we were doing so well? You know, they, <laughs> they won the, the British Home Championship in 81 and 84, the last team to, to, to win that competition. Um, you know, it, it, it finished up in 1984. And that was a, an annual event between England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. Um, and then they, they obviously qualified the, for the World Cup in 82 and 86. They had a great World Cup in 82. And that was followed soon after, of course, by the Republic of Ireland, um, you know, entering their first international tournament in Euro 88 and, and had a great success in the, in the, the 90s as well. Um, so there definitely wasn't an appetite when the teams were doing so well. You did explore in the book, Cormac, one of the most bizarre incidents in Irish football, the moment when there was actually two Ireland teams picking players from the whole of Ireland. Uh, it was a bit of a crazy situation and FIFA couldn't really get their heads around it. And that's when, the, I guess, the teams became Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. Yeah, well, um, well, the, the, the IFA always contended that they were... Uh you know, or the Irish Football Association, and, and to this day, the name still is retained. Um, however, they, they, after FIFA brought in a ruling in 1948, they weren't allowed to pick players not born in uh, Northern Ireland. Um, and last, at the last time there was players from the Repub- from born Republic, born IFA team was 1950. Um, so, so, yeah, they've been for decades. Um, the, the reason why it happened was because the FAI was granted dominion status by the British Association. And what that meant in reality was that they didn't really recognise the FAI. And they just said that the, the, the main Ireland team was the IFA team. So the IFA felt they had carte blanche to pick players from all turkeys. There was a lot of, um, despite all that happened over the years, Cormac, a lot of former internationals, uh, particularly, as the legend goes, the late George Best, one of his final wishes was for there to be a United Ireland team. And, you know, you do hear Pat Jennings and a couple of the others, the great players of the past, come out saying how they would have loved playing as part of a a United Ireland team. And they, they felt that, you know, the strength in numbers could have really, you know, even gone further than what North Ireland achieved in the 80s and indeed what the Republic of Ireland achieved in the early 90s what what do you think about that side of things? Yeah absolutely well like John Giles along with Eamon Dunphy launched my book in, uh, last year and uh, you know Giles said that uh, absolutely all of the players wanted the best team for the, for the island um, if you had a situation in the 70s where the very strong Irish contingent within Arsenal three from you know three prominent players from Republic of Ireland three prominent players from Northern Ireland they get on very well playing for Arsenal. They would have had no qualms at all playing for an, an All Ireland team. And yeah, no, it, it was it, it was a, in many ways a player led initiative um, to to uh, have an All Ireland team. George Best, as you said, was always calling for a United Ireland team. Derek Duggan, in particular, what led the campaign to see an All Ireland. And in fact, it was the Shamrock Rovers eleven um, team, which comprised of players from North and South, losing to three two to Brazil, and that four, was four three to Brazil, or yeah, four yeah, three to Brazil. And one of you know one of the most bizarre things about that was they weren't actually allowed to call themselves Ireland. 
Yeah, exactly. It was a, the IOSA did want to call Ireland. Um, it was a charity event, so I decided to call them Shamrock Rovers 11. But it was, it was an All-Ireland team. The players selected were all from the south and the north. And to give that wonderful Brazilian team a right good go of it and, and to come away with a 4-3 defeat isn't too bad at all. Yeah, oh, absolutely. But if you look at the players, both North and South, you know, throughout the 70s and 80s, even 90s, you know, it would have been some team if there was an All-Ireland team. Yeah, look, they both did well, you know, in, in different tournaments. It, it definitely would have been a force um, if, if there was an All-Ireland team back then. And just... Cormac, I have to ask you, you know, the present situation now, I guess it is great. Everybody can be happy. Uh, both Ireland teams are going to be competing in France at Euro 2016. I mean, the present ruling is a little bit, it's something that doesn't sit well with the IFA at the moment. And it's something the FAI and IFA have, I guess, regularly disputed about is the eligibility rule. And basically anybody born in the island of Ireland can hold an Irish passport, making them eligible yeah. to play for uh, the Republic of Ireland football team. Whereas it doesn't work really the other way around what do you think about the the current present ruling because regardless of uh, what happens there's always going to be you know a a section of players emerging talent from the north that will be drawn to play for Ireland as opposed to Northern Ireland well I think um, if you look at why some players say Catholics from Nashville's backgrounds have decided to like James McLean or particularly James McLean he, he seems to be particularly politically vocal um, you know unlike someone like maybe like Darren Gibson um, but you know there, there was good reasons why they wouldn't have wanted to play for Northern Ireland Neil Ellen being a very good case in point I do think the IFA though has got its house in order in many respects mm. and has tried to uh, um, you, you know um, see greater participation levels among Catholics but the manager at the moment is, is Catholic Michael O'Neill um, they, they've really tried to stamp out sectarianism in the grounds by, by trying to uh, Union Jacks and also but to stop the sectarian chance um, so there are definitely efforts for him to um, incorporate Catholics as well and, and nationalists into, uh, into their fold but if, if a player wants to play for Republic of Ireland under the law like they, they are considered an Irish citizen as well so I, I'm not sure if there is much that can be done about that unless an agreement can be reached between the IFA and the FAI if they have a, have a meeting on it and, and it definitely has you know created tensions between both bodies um, you know that, that the, the player eligibility ruling um, there could be a meeting of the minds you know and that could again lead to further discussions on you know is there is there a possibility or a viability of an All-Ireland team yeah indeed I think Alan Kernahan was one of the few players, Cormac, from uh, a, I guess a Northern Ireland unionist background traditionally that uh, yeah. did play for the Republic of Ireland. And, you know, I think that was more down to uh, disputes that he had back then with the IFA. Yeah, he actually was born in England. So the IFA, the IFA actually was struck to the kind of eligibility rules to the absolute letter, whereas the Republic of Ireland were looking for any means at all possible that could get the best players that could play for Ireland. Um, so Kernan was born in England, therefore he didn't actually um, get a chance to play for Northern Ireland. He was considered eligible. So that, that's how he ended up playing for Republic of Ireland. It's kind of a, a mishap as such. Um, but yeah, look, there, there obviously have been quite a few players playing for a, the Republic from nationalist backgrounds and uh, um, yeah, that, that, that may or may not continue in the future. It, I think that would, would depend on what happens in the IFA and FEI in terms of how close they can get with each other. Yeah, I know it's always it's always an interesting one. Uh, I know there's probably a lot of people up north that are a little bit wary of players that become automatically you know good in the youth ranks and they, they do what they can to keep them playing under the Northern Ireland umbrella you know, and not uh, having them to, to switch because it, it does seem to happen. There was um, 
there's been a there's been a good few. I think Alex Bruce has been one of the few that has played for Republic of Ireland before switching to Northern Ireland. So you know, as soon as there's there's lots of loopholes there around uh, the FIFA eligibility. Just uh, on the future, Cormac, how do you see this? I mean, you've done a huge amount of research on the past and how we've gotten up to where we are today. And you look at the other sports, how an All Ireland team works well in pretty much everything else: rugby, cricket, hockey, golf, everything. Uh, athletics is a little bit of an interesting one because yeah, yeah. they can, you know, probably the most similar, yeah. Exactly, they can play for either. Um, how do you see the future going? Is it going to be a case where Northern Ireland and Republic of Ireland getting pushed further away, or do you think there's a chance of them coming together eventually and saying, well, maybe, um, maybe something could happen down the line? Of course, fans themselves are going to make the argument that sure, both teams now have history and have in- achieved incredible things. Let's not dampen that by coming together and, and forgetting that history. Yeah, well, I do think a lot of what they've achieved is history and will be consigned to history, I'm afraid. Um, look, I know both teams have qualified for major tournament for the first time, but let's let's look at the context of that tournament. When, our, when the Republic of Ireland qualified in 1988, there was only eight teams in Euros. Now they're 24, which is pretty much just under half of uh, UEFA. So these are going to be a lot easier to get into the Euro Championship, but to actually do well in them, Let's see what happens. I just think the quality of both teams has gone down um, hugely since the 70s and 80s. Um, the World Cup is in many ways a litmus test. Like, can they qualify for World Cups? And I think it's going to be more and more difficult um, for that to happen. Look, okay, let's, everything you think has changed. Obviously, what we consider Leicester's success this year. So who knows what uh, John Killings could happen from here on in. Um, but I, I just think that lack of success, which I believe will be the case um, in, in most instances for both Ireland, could see them come closer together and actually see it right. If we do want to qualify and compete at these tournaments, we need to pool our resources together. The only thing people will come back at you on that one, Cormac, is the fact that when you put the two teams together, I mean, there's not much difference between them. And, you know, is there a big, would there be a huge improvement on on, on an All-Ireland team to uh, the Republic of Ireland and to Northern Ireland? Yeah, that's that's just talking about right now. Mm. As I said, if we look back in the 70s and 80s or even 90s, if if you could even, like the 90s, I think, fair enough, most players probably would have come from the Republic of Ireland. But you would have got two or three good players from Northern Ireland. any any time throughout history, you would always be able to select two or three players from, say, the weaker um, um, kind of association at any given time. Um, and I, I do think that look, it, it just is a case that we are probably going to get weaker te- national teams because of the internationalisation of the Premier League. It's no longer just a league of England, Scotland, Wales, and, and Ireland. Um, you know, it's, it's it's very hard for players from north and south to get onto Premier League teams. Definitely on the very big clubs, there's hardly anyone at those clubs. So I, I do think as time goes on, we so have any chance of any success, we probably would need to pull our resources together. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. And I know that people that are staunchly against the idea would probably, from the North, would probably say to you, well, if if you want to bring us together, why don't we bring the whole British Isles together? I've heard that one when it's been put to them a few times. But we'll, we'll Yeah, look, this is not going to be easy. And there's no way that if, if uh, people said, right, this is happening now, that there wouldn't be antagonism towards Of course there would. But um, I do think it's possible. I think if you, there's surveys done um, recently, let's see, University of Ulster survey last year, and the majority of people in Northern Ireland are are in favour of an All Ireland soccer team, um, and, and a big proportion of Protestants are as well. You know, I think about forty two percent. 
um, were in favour of uh, not Ireland team. So look, it, there definitely is a, um, a lot of people who will be in favour of this. I, I think down south, definitely most people openly look for an all Ireland team. And there's a growing body in North of Ireland that are more open to this concept. Yeah, I, I, John Delaney said before that he'd be, oh, he's very much open to it, but he feels that the political situation in Ireland as a whole would have to change. He almost believes that Ireland would have to be u- unite from a political sense to uh, achieve a United Ireland soccer team. Yeah, look, that, that could be the case, but I, I do think the circumstances, say, from where we were 20 years ago up in Northern Ireland, have changed considerably. And I do think it's definitely better, a safer environment now to talk about an All-Ireland team. Yeah. The fact that there was a close um, and a real effort to have a United Ireland team during the height of the Troubles in the 70s surely would suggest efforts could be made again now when there's far less uh, violence happening in Ireland. Yeah, and a, a recent, just to back that, that point up, I know a recent survey, Cormac, that was done by Queen's University uh, in Belfast stated that although only 20% of people up north would like a United Ireland, there was something like 55% would be in favour of an All-Ireland football team so it just goes to show that uh, sport and politics are not always uh, equally aligned as you said uh, Yeah, th- not equally aligned, they are linked but not equally aligned Yeah, yeah uh, fantastic uh, to chat to you Cormac, just for any Irish fans looking to get a hold of the book, uh, The Irish Soccer Split, what's the best thing for them to do? Well, it's in most bookshops, you know in, in uh, I would hope in most bookshops around the country, like it's, you can buy it on Amazon or it's, it's, it's published by Cork University Press, so it's, it's on their website as well. Um, so yes, yeah, so there should be loads of outlets, both hard copies and, and online, that uh, you can purchase. Well, we wish both Ireland teams do the business this summer in France. Cormac Moore. I hope we didn't meet in the final. Yeah, that would be, <laughs> that yeah. would be something very <laughs> special, it has to be said. Yeah. Cormac Moore, thanks a million for joining us on the Why Big Football Show. I wish you the very best of luck. Take care. No problem at all. Thank you, David. Cheers. Well, there you have it. Should we have a United Ireland football team going forward? A lot of Irish fans will say the Irish team is already united. We already do. The Republic of Ireland can pick players from all over the island, despite pro tests from the IFA. We'll see what happens there. Well, that's it from me, Dave O'Grady, on the Big Football Show this week. Don't forget to get down to the Big for the best fans action ahead of Euro 2016. And don't forget to check us out on Bench Warmers as well. From myself and the lads, we'll chat to you soon.